Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake Podcast with me, Kieran Clark, coming to you now. Oh, we're now in early October. Winter is coming, and I'm told that is a Game of Thrones reference, but as I've never watched an episode, I really can't be sure. However, winter is coming indeed. Obviously, autumnal golf. Shorter days, cooler temperatures, courses are getting into sort of winter mode now, the season is drawing to an end. However, for dedicated golf shakers, you're out there playing nonetheless and recording your scores and tracking your stats. And now, back on this week's Golf Shake podcast, obviously last week I was here on my own, very lonely, very depressed, doing it all, all by myself. I must say, actually, doing it by myself quite expertly, I think. However, that's for other people to judge. But this week, because obviously the the people at Golf Shake feel I have to have a minder by my side. So Owen Davis, my regular co-host, is back. After a few days up at the northeast of England, he was there at the British Masters. He was up there stalking Rory McIlroy and Sergio Garcia and all those guys. So Owen, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, how was your week at Close House? Uh, it was very good, Kieran. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was. Uh, I didn't have a whole week. I was there Monday to Wednesday, so uh, I missed all the all the really good action. But um, certainly enjoyed the first three days. And I have to say, when you talk about stalking, you are in St Andrews and it is the Dunhill Links this week. So I suspect there'll be a bit of Rory McIlroy stalking going on in your part as well. Well, of course. Uh, oh, and I must say, I have actually purchased a long lens camera so I can go and stalk you know, Rory McIlroy and all these other guys. And um, I, w- I was hoping that uh, in the amateur section, Kyle McLachlan would be playing because I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks and he's a very good actor. But unfortunately, I don't think he's there this year. So I'm very disappointed by that. So my stalking will have to wait another 12 months. But um, <laughs> oh, and obviously at the, at the British Masters, obviously you, you mentioned that you missed the, the, the action over the tournament. But what were you actually doing when you were there for those three days? Yeah, so I had a pretty interesting week. We've got a, um, a challenge coming up, uh, which will start this Friday um, uh, with Galvin Green, uh, where we'll be challenging you guys out there to to break your handicaps, um, to never compromise, which is kind of their their hashtag, their mantra, um, something they apply to their clothing, uh, and also you know when they're you know while they're involved in golf, they want they want you guys to apply to that as well. So what I was doing was I was following a, a tour professional called Chris Paisley. Very mm-hmm. good player from the northeast. Um, keeps knocking on the door of winning tournaments. I think he's had th- uh, a third each of the last three years on tour. Um, so you know the next thing for him is to win. But I was following him in his preparations and creating a series of, of videos and content um, really to support that campaign, uh, support you guys in in breaking your handicap during October um, and and learning from the best, so to speak. Yeah, it sounds good. And you mentioned there, obviously, people knocking on the door. And uh, certainly Paul Dunn is an example of that. Obviously, he was so incredible in his performance over the weekend there at Close House, particularly on the Sunday to go out there to shoot 61 in relatively difficult conditions. Obviously, the wind was kind of blustering up. And uh, 61 to win the his first event on the European Tour, his first pro title ahead of Roy McIlroy, who obviously came through the field on Sunday, it was superb, kind of back to something like his best over the weekend, his best uh, 36 hole score on the European Tour over the last two days, he was superb, but Paul Dunn, he showed uh, a real skill under pressure, great touch around the greens, when he found trouble, he escaped from it really well, obviously he chipped in on the last in the bunker, and it was obviously you know, a great finish there, but it was a, a real stunning performance, and uh, to get his first win, obviously we've been aware of him now for a few years, and you know, a very good amateur career in America, as well as of course 
we will remember him most of all for contending in the Open Championship two years ago at St Andrews where he was a, a tied for the lead after three rounds as an amateur. Fell away on the Sunday, or as it was on the Monday actually that year, given the event was delayed by a day. But it was a tremendous performance that, that week and we kind of recognised him therefore as being a potential you know, tour star. Could he you know, translate that into success as a professional, which doesn't always happen as we know. Obviously the transition is uh, not always the smoothest for some players. But Paul has been knocking on doors. He lost the playoff to Eduardo Molinari in Morocco earlier this season. So he has been there or thereabouts in the past couple of years, waiting for his first win. And to get one at the British Masters, obviously, a big showpiece event, you know, really impressive. To do it in that manner with Rory McIlroy breathing down your neck made it even more impressive. So, Owen, I'm not sure how much of the golf you watched, but just to put it into context, you know, how just how significant was that achievement for Paul Dunn to win an event of that stature and to see off one of the best players in the world? Yeah, I think I mean I think it's huge for him, isn't it? Uh, the uh, he's been he's been knocking on the door for a while. I mean he's been threatening, and I don't think there was there was any doubt from the facts from the moment that um, you know he obviously did well at St Andrews, but he went and got his card with relative ease after that, and that's always a sign, I think, that um, that players are, are of real high caliber. And he's had a few few runs at a few tournaments, so it's not surprising. What was surprising, um, you know, it's not surprising he won, but what was surprising surprising was the way he did it. And the fact that he went out and shot that score, um, you know, not only an amazing score, but also with one of the world's best players breathing down his neck and really charging at him at the end. So, um, yeah, I think it's super impressive. And uh, I think he's he's one to watch. Um, you know, there's a few young guys as well. Now the Ryder Cup qualifications underway um, mm-hmm. that, that, are, that are, you know, some of the tour players are talking about um, him, Jordan Smith. There's a, there's a few guys out there which, um, you know, there's going to be a bit of a changing of the guard, I think, as as the Westwoods and, and those guys get a bit older, that we're going to start seeing some of these guys really step up and uh, and become uh, great players and world players. And he's certainly one of those, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right there, but obviously the Ryder Cup qualification process has begun on the European Tour. And again, every sort of Ryder Cup cycle, we have newer players breaking through. Obviously, we had uh, Matt Fitzpatrick and Andy Sullivan and guys like that uh, last year breaking through, getting onto the team for the first time. And you also need to have that fresh blood coming through, particularly, as you say, the European team. Uh, I think there was a sense that perhaps it was both ageing in one sense and also um, the newer guys weren't quite fresh enough or experienced enough as it was last year. So obviously with the American team looking extremely strong right now with the way they played at the President's Cup and uh, I know it's a very different competition but they were so dominant there when you have players like you know, Spieth and Thomas and uh, Brooks Kepka, all these major champions up there, Dustin Johnson where they're a really formidable side and uh, even though the European team has some, some big name players they need to have the, the lower half of the squad to give them that depth which they perhaps they didn't quite have last year which may have cost them at Hazeltine but, uh, so certainly a year from uh, the, the event at the Golf National, players like Paul Dunn and Jordan Smith like you mentioned there, they're young guys who are, have the potential over the next 12 months to really make a name for themselves and try and become more consistent winners and uh, get on to that European team because the European side is crying out for for new talents to join. The obviously guys like Fleetwood who are newer players as well. So obviously there's a a decent uh, development of young players coming through from from the British Isles uh, 
both Britain and Ireland and uh, uh, Paul Dunn certainly at the top of the list because he was, as you say, really impressive there. But looking quickly over at Roy McIlroy, he obviously hasn't had the season he would have liked. He hasn't won this year. It's been very hit and miss with his injury problems, inflammation issues he's been having with his ribs. So he hasn't quite felt at his best to go out and practice effectively. So he hasn't quite felt as uh, as most uh, ready to play in tournament golf. And when you're facing up to the likes of Spieth and Thomas, then you really have to be at your best, which he hasn't quite been. So he's playing... This week coming up at the Dunhill Links, that will be his last event of the year before he takes a, a month out of the game entirely to try and get his health in check before uh, getting ready for next season. But obviously Owen, he was back to his best over the weekend at Close House. He seemed to kind of going through the motions a little bit over the first two days, sort of made the cut by a couple of shots, wasn't really doing anything, but then obviously came alive over the last two days. So, you know, Owen, Roy's kind of downplayed the last two events. He was saying, well, it doesn't really matter whether he wins or not or how he plays as such. Obviously, he'd like to play well, but if you know, if he can carry the form from the weekend there onto this week at the Dunhill Links, just how significant it would be for Rory's confidence, uh, his kind of reflection on this year, if he was to win at the Dunhill after a big week at the British Masters. Yeah, I think I think it's huge. I was lucky enough actually that um, while I was uh, following Chris uh, Chris Paisley round, um, literally following most of his pretty much his every move for three days, and uh, you were looking at how he prepared for yeah. He prepared for a tournament. Chris Paisley actually is a, is a fantastic putter and is in the top uh, top ten in each three of the putting categories on tour. Uh, and it was noticeable how much Chris was work was doing on his short game. But actually, there with him and the guy I spent doing, uh, I saw spend doing as much, if not more, uh, on the putting green was McElroy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's uh, maybe an indication of of you know why he did well this week. Obviously, you don't shoot the scores he shot without holding putts, uh, and I think that that's noticeable. He did hit some balls, and he looked really good when he was hitting balls. But then again, he always looks good when he's hitting balls uh, on the range. He's you know he's so fluid and and so powerful. It's hard not to be impressed. Even you know even when he's not on, you you really can't tell. Uh, you know, as just on the sidelines, whether he's on or not, really mm-hmm. uh, on on the range. But what was impressive was the amount of time he spent putting on the putting green. And I think it'd be interesting to see whether this kind of enforced or semi-enforced break is going to allow him to actually really focus in on his putting uh, and do some work on it. Because I feel for him that is the real key. If he can putt well, he's almost unbeatable because mm. uh, he's going to have you know six, seven, eight, nine weeks a year where he hits the ball better than anyone else in the world. And if he putts well, he won't be beaten. Um, so I think that's the thing this week. Um, putting on this course is going to be tricky. I think it's going to be quite blustery, quite windy. How he deals with that, how he deals with those left to right as he doesn't like with a bit of wind coming off the left, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see. But I think if he could win or he could even finish top five again, uh, it's going to end a really pretty poor, bad season on a, on a good note and um, hopefully get him ready for a really big 2018 ahead with the Ryder Cup and uh, obviously four more majors to compete for. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're right there, but obviously looking forward to a big year next year. Obviously sort of fallen behind uh, the top names, as I said earlier, the Spiefs and Johnsons and uh, Justin Thomas in particular, obviously this year. So he's fallen behind those guys and wants to try and get back into that conversation. And the way to go and do that is start winning golf tournaments again. And obviously the big ones are the better. So uh, obviously Rory's going to be, I think he has a plan in place to try and get himself back to his best. And you're right there about the putting. And also I think his, his wedge game hasn't been quite up to standard either this year. So really his 
the two real scoring parts of the game, the wedge play and the putting, hasn't been quite at the level of those top guys, and that's why he's fallen behind them. That said, he, yeah, he has finished in the top ten in, I think, roughly half of the events that he's played in. So you know, a bad year for Rory McIlroy is still a very good year for most people, but obviously a winless season is disappointing, and he has one last chance to do that at the Dunhill Lynx Championship this week at the Home of Golf. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a wee while. But first, we're going to actually bring back uh, Owen here because Owen was has been out on the road in, in, in the past few weeks. He's been touring around, meeting all kinds of interesting people and talking about all kinds of golf equipment and golf issues. And uh, recently, Owen, you were talking to the president of Titleist Golf Clubs and obviously they've had uh, their new iron releases are now in the shop. So, Owen, uh, talk us through this interview you have uh, with Steve Pelisek. Yeah, so Steve Pelisek is a, is a guy that's been in the industry for a long time. Had uh, been at Titleist for a very long time, and Titleist are a great company uh, to work for. They uh, very much look after their staff. They encourage them, they train them properly, and they promote internally. So this is someone who's come up um, through the ranks a little bit at Titleist over the years, I'm, I'm led to believe, and um, really quite an inspirational figure in, in the company. So I was really, really excited when I got to speak with them up at Archfield uh, at the 718 Iron Launch, not far from you actually, Kieran, Indeed. that neck of the woods. Um, I could just look across the across the coast there and maybe see, uh, see you waving back at me from St Andrews. But um, it was great to meet him there. He loves his trips as an American over to Scotland. He's very passionate about being there. Uh, and he's recently uh, taken up that role, and he doesn't have to come across to the UK and Europe and speak to us. He's got plenty of guys who could do that, but he believes passionately in in, in speaking to the journalists and the media about his golf clubs um, that, that they build and uh, making sure we understand why he believes they're the best clubs in the world and whether right for serious golfers. So um, I think that's reflected in the interview now, um, and... Uh, You'll hear him talk passionately about Titleist and the new range and how that all fits together. Yes, and so let's listen to that interview right now with Steve Pelisek, the president of Titleist Golf Clubs. Um, so I just wanted to firstly touch on the philosophy of Titleist as a whole yeah. um, and and where that sits um, maybe within a wider or wider context within golf. Sure. Um, and then how that how that really fits into or the product lineup that we've got here how that fits into that philosophy. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's how we look at the at the golf world, Owen. Um, you know, if you add up all the federations around the world, they'll say that there are somewhere around 50 million golfers in the world. Um, that's great. We love that. And we have a Titleist Golf Ball division whose job it is to be the number one ball <laughs> in golf. Yeah. Um, at Titleist Clubs, we don't necessarily target or look at the whole population, the whole 50 million. Yeah. Yeah. Within that, though, there's about 15% of the world golf population that we consider to be dedicated golfers. Yeah. They play a lot. Sometimes they're good players. Sometimes they're not. Yeah. Um, they pay attention to what happens on tour. They're fans of the game. Um, they they want to get better, and maybe most importantly, they're willing to invest in equipment, golf clubs, that will help them get better. They'll pay for the good stuff yeah. as long as it works. Yeah. So we kind of look at 15% of the golf population, they play about 40% of the rounds, and they probably support about 70 to 75% of the equipment that's purchased. Yeah. So admittedly, we target that group of golfers not the whole population yeah and uh in terms of the the lineup of clubs and how you how you then build or, or go about uh, the r d of clubs 
that directly fits into that group of, of yes, people. Yes, absolutely. See, our mission, we call it, is to make the best performing clubs in the world yeah. for the dedicated golfer. And we break the bag down into six areas. Drivers, fairways, hybrids, irons, wedges, putters. We fundamentally believe that that group of dedicated golfers, they pick each one of those six categories very independently. Yeah. It may not be that they just align themselves with a brand. Yeah. They take their time to pick what they think is the best driver, the best three wood, the best hybrids, the best set of irons, the best wedges for them, all the way through the set. So we really approach from an R&D standpoint each one of those six categories very independently. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, that makes so, sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. And and so we've got two, two distinct sets of irons here, or groups of irons, yep. in, in that you've got a tour iron and then you've got a, a distance or yep. game improvement iron. Um, could you explain a little bit more about how uh, the AP1, AP2 and AP3 fit into those categories and and yeah. why the ap3 is now in the range sure well we we, we generally you know, we've got our six categories of clubs and yeah. you know one of them is obviously irons but we've seen recently that the iron category is really splitting into two yeah tour like irons and really distance irons and they're very different animals yeah tour irons are built for precision feel highly highly consistent they need to generally be more compact blades because um that's what those types of players like to look at um and we do a great job with those yeah uh, that's what our mb and cb and frankly what our ap2 iron is we didn't originally set out for ap2 to be a tour iron yeah. but it has become extremely popular yeah one of the most played irons on the worldwide tours ap2 yeah um so that's our tour iron lineup. AP1 has always been our distance iron. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very forgiving iron, but it's our longest iron. We felt, and, and it's a phenomenal iron. We think it's the most forgiving. We call it maximum distance, maximum forgiveness, yeah. titleist look and feel. Recently, though, I'd say in the last four or five years, there's an emerging group of players. We call them distance players. Yeah. They want a set of irons that looks like a blade, yeah. but is as long as a more you know game improvement iron. Yeah. And that's not easy to do, to make a long iron uh, that has forgiveness, but still has a very compact look. That's what AP3 is. Yeah. We call it one plus two equals three. Yeah, and I noticed that there's, there's obviously, I suppose in an ideal world, you might have said the AP3 is in with that tour iron and the ap2 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so i mean you didn't want to obviously impact on the success of ap2 hence no the ap2 yeah. is a tour iron yeah and it's it's it. it's the most popular tour iron on the planet yeah. and it's a phenomenal machine yeah you know the 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 new eight or 718 ap2 has higher is a more forgiving golf club than the original ap1 yeah. Yeah. For the size of that golf club, it's unbelievably forgiving. Yeah. Um, we didn't want to mess with it. Yeah. It's a very popular golf club. Yeah. Again, though, we just felt we were missing an iron that for a player who, hey, let's say, for example, this is the 10th anniversary of the introduction of the AP2 franchise. Yeah. Maybe some of those guys who bought AP2 10 years ago might be saying, hey, I'm five, six yards <laughs> shorter than I was 10 years ago. I sure I sure love the look and feel of Titleist Iron. Yeah. I wish I could get those five or six yards yes. back. That's what AP3 That's what, does. Okay. And 
TMBs have been around for yeah. a little while now. Hugely successful. I think yep. a, a massive improvement on the 712U. Um, if I might say, I think the use of tungsten is huge yeah. uh, in, in, in that. Um, how much did the consumer twist your arm to to release a full set in, in Europe? I know it was happening maybe a little while ago in the Far East. But Very how, much so. Yeah, it was, it was consumer demand that, that, well, that brought this to market to it, a certain extent. Yeah, it's one of those stories where um, we did... We let the consumer feedback set the direction there. Yeah. We originally designed utility, you know, yeah. the 712U to be a utility iron. Yeah. For the long end of a set, there are a lot of players that prefer to hit a golf club that looks more like an iron yeah. than a wood or a hybrid. So we designed what we thought was the best utility iron. Mm. Then we made it better. Uh, and then we realized that. You know, basically the feedback was, hey, I like this platform. I like yeah. this hollow platform. Why don't you make a whole set? Yeah. So we did. Yeah. It's that simple. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's it's an interesting niche on tour. It's very highly played. Yeah. It's it, In fact, if you took all the players on tour who play Titleist Irons, yeah. the iron model of ours that's in more bags is TMB. Yeah. But it's in usually in one or two irons. Yes. It's a three iron or a four iron or a three and four iron. Um, so it's very popular yeah. um, because it has that blade-like look. It yeah. doesn't have a lot of offset in it, uh, and it goes sky high, and it's long. Yeah. So. And um, interesting on a, a wider point, and something uh, I've, I've been thinking about for a while, and, and obviously TMBs were designed partly for gapping and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and putting something in at the top end of the set that helps. Is there a justification and does this ever happen do you ever lobby the usga rna to look at um increasing the number of clubs in a set now that now that golfers are, are hitting so their range of, of hitting has gone from zero yards to maybe 300 yards at the top yeah. end and it used to be 220 so gapping is much harder yeah. so we're talking about making the game easier would extra clubs help in that and do manufacturers ever lobby well, for this we don't. We don't no. lobby because we really do feel those are the governing bodies. They need to set the rules. Yeah. Um, they give us a chance for input. We do believe uh, in following the rules. Yeah. But what we have worked really hard, and your question's a great one because it kind of explains why we have all these different models. Yes. And it explains why over 70% of tour players even play more than one model yeah. of our irons. Yeah. We do try to make sure that from T to green... We have choices in the product line that allow a good fitter mm. to work with any player on the planet yep. and take their full range of capability and very clearly establish yep. 14 clubs that all have a, a real purpose, yeah. if that makes sense. Yep. You know, too many people we see hit their 4-iron, 5-iron, 6-iron within 4 or 5 yards of each other. Well, that's a waste of at least one club. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the coolest thing I think about the new AP1 set. Yeah, is we've we've put some technology in the four and the five iron that really stretch out those gaps. Yeah, that's where most players lose those gaps. Yeah, but the construction of those two irons, you're going to get back five six yards in each of those and really get back to a nice healthy 10, 12 yard gap probably. Yeah, yeah. and we mentioned fitting there. I mean, fitting obviously I think most most golfers, uh, good golfers now um, realize, or not good golfers but avid golfers realize they need yep. to be fitted. Um, and obviously we talked about Titleist there really uh, targeting in on a market uh, of golfers that really care about their games. Yep. I mean, 
would you go as far to say it's almost essential to be fitted for, oh, yeah. for, for clubs? I mean, if you're going to get Absolutely. the most out of a golf club. Yeah, and we're seeing it. We're up to, um, we're a custom house. Yeah. You know, we are almost 70% of the irons we sell. Mm-hmm. Seven out of 10 sets yeah. are custom made to order. Yeah. And you don't just wake up, Bowen, and decide no. one day, hey, we're going to be a custom club company. No. It's not easy. It's a different way to run a company. Yeah. We make clubs, for example, in six different places around the world. The average turnaround time for a set of custom clubs from us is less than three days in every one of the six. Uh, in fact, in a couple of them, it's less than two days. So we believe that... We to, to, to really appeal to to be the brand of choice among that group of dedicated golfers, you got to make great stuff. Mm-hmm. You got to make it easy. Got to give them easy access to someone who will help them pick the right ones at the right specs. Yeah. Then you got to deliver it fast, faster yeah. and better than yeah. anybody. And that's our mantra: is we are better and faster yeah. than anybody. And um, on the new range, uh, just a couple of questions. That I mean, num- number one. How how long? I mean, these are very much yep. designed and tweaked, and, and I would yeah. say are a next generation to the previous science. How long have these been in the making? Do you, do you think? And well, it depends on how you look at it, because right. we have an iron design team yeah. that's constantly working. They yeah. just they release them every two years. Yeah. I heard a great quote one time from the chairman of Pixar that said, right. "We never finish a movie; we just release them." Right. <laughs> because these artists will never sign the painting, no. you know, kind of thing. Um, our R&D team is similar. They're constantly working toward, and they know that every two years they need to release. Yeah. We don't like going sooner than two years because, no. frankly, we're not we're not convinced that we can make the golf club significantly better yeah. in any tighter a window than that. But for example, the TMB TMB's been in the works arguably since 712U. Right. There's this so there's and and assisting the iron design team. We've got an advanced materials team mm. that's constantly saying, hey, here's a new material, maybe lighter, stronger. Yeah. Uh, you know, the new material that we're using in the AP2 face insert, for example, yeah. something we've never used before. So they're getting input from these guys. They're also getting input from the engineers who work with the manufacturers who yeah. say, great example, AP2 co-forging. Yeah. Co-forging was a process that didn't exist four years ago. Yeah. And we basically invented it with the manufacturer to figure out how close to the edge of the golf club can we get these two big tungsten weights? Yeah. So there's this playoff between materials, manufacturing, and the designers that is a constant innovation. Yeah. It's just really every two years you got to look up and release. And how much does economics impact on R&D? I.e., yeah. could, could you build... <clears throat> It, it, could it, could a manufacturer, whether it's Titus or another, build something that is just way beyond anything else, or is it? Does economics limit that, or or is it just literally everyone's going as fast as they can right now? Great question. Um, there are certain categories. C sixteen is an example. Yeah. C sixteen is an iron where we basically said to our engineers, as long as there's performance for the money, you have no cost restrictions. Yeah. Go make the 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 best golf club you can think of. So can't say no yeah um, that there are no economic restrictions because it's a very expensive golf club to make it has three different materials it's a process that we never you know that we never used before and the results speak for itself it's it's an incredible golf club but the cool thing about c16 was by pushing the limits and going way out there Mm. we did learn a number of things that are incorporated into the two long irons, the four and the five iron, and the AP one have a lot of C sixteen in them. Yeah. Same thing with AP three. Yeah. Um, AP three is a hollowback in the long end of the set. 
the, the face in that is designed much like what we learned in C16. So I can't say there are no economic restrictions. We do believe we have the meetings all the time. Yeah. Um, the design, the iron design team may come to us, for example, and say, hey, I can make the new AP1 um, the long iron's quite a bit longer. Yeah. Well, how long is quite a bit? Yeah. Probably seven or eight yards. That's a long way when you're yeah. talking about one generation to the next of a five iron. Yeah. Well, what's it going to cost? Well, it's going to cost this. Um, that's worth it. You, know, right. you make those decisions along the way. We do have to deliver value. There's a promise that comes with the Titleist brand. Yeah. You know, the brand means a lot of things, and yeah. we're very careful to protect that. And we think that promise means great performance, great value, yeah. great quality, and great service. Yeah. So, hey, within those confines, you do have to make the decision to decide whether you think the, the golfer will... Right. We'll uh, we'll pay for it. We've been lucky that more times than not they've said yes. Good, good. And um, no, that's great. No, and um, final question, really. I mean, if what's the one reason someone should go and try these products um, in two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen? What what would be the one one reason you think they should go and uh, go and try a Titleist product, a new Titleist iron? Okay, uh, they're the best. Yeah, these are the best performing golf clubs you can buy. Yeah. Now we make a range of models. Yeah. The only choice we like to think is is the choice should be Titleist. Within that, the choice is which one. Okay. Which one? Because, again, our our mission for being is to make the best performing golf equipment in the game. We believe the brand has has stands up for that because that's what we've been doing for so many years, you know, since 1932. Yeah. Um, so the one reason is... These are the best performing irons in the game. Whether you want the most played tour iron in the game or you want the longest, most forgiving game improvement iron in the game, we think that's Titleist. Right. Sounds like a good answer to me. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Really appreciate the sound. <laughs> no problem. And that was Owen Davis there with Steve Pellisek, the president of Titleist Golf Clubs. And uh, as Owen touched on a minute ago, obviously, the, these new irons are now in the shops waiting to be bought. If you want to go and splash some money, if your iron play hasn't been at your best this year, or you fancy an upgrade from the clubs you're presently using, then obviously these new releases from Titleist will certainly capture your attention. And also we have uh, reviews, and uh, Owen has been out testing these clubs at Archerfield that time when he was there. And obviously all these videos and content are actually on the website and also the YouTube channel channel so you can go there and catch up with that and see which of these clubs and learn more about them and as to how if they could suit your game and which one of them you should buy for yourself if you have the the big money to go and do that but obviously Owen touching on uh, this week obviously we mentioned at the start of the, before the interview there the Dunhill links this week obviously here in St Andrews and the Carnoustie and Kings Barnes over three courses obviously a unique event a real kind of showpiece event later in the year in the European Tour a kind of a celebration of Lynx Golf uh, late autumn it's kind of a in many ways sort of the, the close of the golf season here in this part of Scotland and uh, sort of serves as kind of the, the, the closing uh, ceremony if you like of the, the golf season so obviously also very good field here Rory McIlroy is headlining it he's playing for the first time in a few years as we touched on before, hasn't been the best year for him, but he's been looking forward to this event for a while now. He's going to play with his dad in the Pro-Am format, which of course is a big part of the Dunhill these days where 
anyways, a lot of celebrities, sports people, wealthy business people playing in it alongside some of the, the top European tour players, and it had adds a little bit of a unique flavour to the event, a little bit like the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am in the, in the US on the PGA Tour earlier in the year. So it's kind of the equivalent of that, but obviously played over three golf courses, three of the kind of the best uh, links courses in, in in Scotland, three obviously two legendary venues in the old course and uh, Carnoustie, obviously next year's open venue. And of course, King's Barns, more of a modern design, but visually spectacular. And of course, we saw that recently for the Women's British Open back in August. So, oh, and obviously, you know, as an, I've always thought, as a, if you were a golfer, surely this is the, the tour event that you'd want to play in the most. And uh, I've always thought if you could, if I had a spare 50 grand, I'd go and buy that extra place in the field for the charity auction. Because, uh, I think, you know, when you consider the, the free golf courses you have here, the venue, the time of year, the big prize money, I must say, Owen, this is one week where I have to say I do feel quite jealous of the tour players. How about you? Yeah, totally. I think it's a really good, fun week for them. I think quite often they're playing with friends as well. It's yeah. not um, It's not like they've pitched up a tournament, the regular pro-ams where it's, um, you know, it's, it's sponsors and, and stuff like that. They're, 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 they're playing with celebrity friends or, or family members, as Rory is. So I think it's a, it's a brilliant... It's a brilliant event. You get to play, you know, I mean, you get to play the old course, Carnoustie and King's Barnes. It can't get much better than that, can it? Um, you know, I, I, no, it, it's just brilliant. <laughs> uh, I'm very jealous of them all. Well, as am I. And of course, you, I'm assuming you're relatively jealous of me too, because I did play the old course on Friday morning, right. as, as I like to mention. And um, I, I, you know, I sort of, there were flashes of brilliance for me there. But I think generally speaking, if one of the players asked me this week how the course was, I could say, well, I could show you where not to hit it, because that's what I did quite a few times. However, it, none of them would be asking how to play the first key, and that's the main thing. <laughs> I see that's that's a very unfair dig because actually before the podcast, Owen asked me about how I played the first hole, which regular listeners will realise I have possibly an historically high scoring average on the first hole. My scoring average on the first hole is actually higher than what it is in 17, although this week actually I sort of flipped that around where I made a very respectable bogey on the first hole, Owen. I tell you what, you people say well, that golf that hole's so easy, it's wide open off the tee, it's the biggest fairway in golf. Well, if you play that into a wind, you know, that second shot's no gimme over the burn and um, it can be a little bit tricky. That said, when I played it on Friday there was absolutely no wind whatsoever. <laughs> the only wind that was there was me talking so the hot air from my mouth really was only kind of wind that we had in the golf course so um but it was good fun the golf course was in very good condition the greens were a little bit faster than what they normally are obviously getting ready for the tournament and uh but the course as is this time of year particularly all three courses will be playing a little bit softer than what they would have done in the height of the summer so for that from that kind of perspective they are playing a little bit easier than what they would have done however the forecast suggests that the wind's going to be up this week relatively, probably about 20 miles an hour most of the days. So that's you know that's a steady wind for a link. That's, you know, it's obviously it's enough to think about, and uh, that's it keeps the thing relatively interesting. Obviously, if the course is playing very calm and soft, then it's it's there for the taking, all three of them really. But obviously, all length golf courses, even Carnoustie, which is obviously regarded as being the, the most difficult one, it still needs some wind there as well. So, oh, and obviously. We look at this event and it's very unique in the way it plays, but also we talk about slow play. And this event is one of the slowest, probably the slowest of the year. We have four balls in every group. Two of them are amateurs. It can get very long and there's you know five and a half hour rounds and obviously some patience is required uh, on the course, which actually makes it quite remarkable, therefore, that Tyrrell Hassan won last year, I've got to say, but he somehow came through despite the, the frustrations of the, the whole setting. So... 
you obviously are playing a Lynx golf course in, in windy conditions. We talked about Rory McIlroy earlier on. You mentioned him, obviously, those tricky left-to-right putts on the green. But surely Rory's coming here. He, he likes the old course. He's got a, a very good record here. He actually has never shot in the 70s professionally on the old course. It's always been in the 60s and that one round of 80 that he shot in the Open in 2010 when the conditions became really nasty. So obviously, Owen, playing with his dad this week, a relaxed environment. Do you think Rory can end the year with a win? Yes. But Willie, that's the question. Come on. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he probably, he may well, he may well do. I think these last two events, the British Masters, it was so obvious that it was set up not on purpose, I don't think, but set up to suit a British player. The greens were, were quite slow, quite soft, quite wet, taking footprints. Obviously, they won't do that on a Lynx course, but the greens won't be as fast as they were in Portugal, for instance, uh, where mm. they played a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, it's set up for a British winner. Uh, you know, Rory is is British. And um, and I, I just I think he's, he's full of confidence. He loves the golf courses. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it's hard to look beyond him with that amount of confidence. And um, I'd love to see him do it. So, yeah, why not? It's hard, it's hard to look past him, isn't it? Well, he's certainly going to be the headline uh, player in the field. And obviously, it is, it is fascinating to have an event like this. And we have the free golf courses. Obviously, it brings a different dynamic there with the field plays at each golf course in, in, in different days. The, the field split into three, into three groups. So, obviously... Maybe one day one course will play easier than another one. So it's not the, in brackets, inverted commas, the fairest event perhaps, but that's Lynx Golf for you where it can change obviously very quickly as we see the Open every single year. So, But yeah, obviously the conditions look fairly steady for the most part this week. So it should be a, a really solid test over the, the first three days leading into the last day over the old course. So it's, uh, yeah, it should be a great, again, it's a good showpiece of golf. It's a great way to see free great, great golf courses on TV every day. Obviously, the TV coverage focuses on each golf course individually before the old course on Sunday. So it's um, it's one of the best events to watch, I think, and also to spectate at as well when you're there. Obviously, you have all the great golfers, but obviously some very well-known amateur golfers as well. So it's a, it's a good event, a good end-of-year celebration. Is it, free to, is it free to get in, Kieran? It's free I, I to get in is... over the first three yeah. days. The last day you have to pay, which I kind of disagree. I think it would be quite nice to have it free all four days. But the first three days are free, so you can go and watch Rory McIlroy play Carnistie or St Andrews for free. And in the end, you know, that's that's pretty cool. And I think that the access to that is something that people should actually embrace more than what they do. We saw the great attendance that we had at the British Masters last week. Over 70,000 were at Close House in the North East. You know, great attendance there in Newcastle. We will not have those crowds at uh, St Andrews this week, which is obviously a shame because uh, I think the event should be better supported than what it has been in recent years. But if, with some decent weather, maybe that'll bring out some good crowds, particularly if Rory's in contention. That's going to be the big thing. If he can get into the mix on Sunday, then that'll add a bit of spice to the event, just as it did at Close House at the weekend, obviously. So, um, yeah, it should be a great week, obviously. You know, a, a great showpiece event for the European Tour and for golf in this part of the country. And uh, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to being in, a, in and about and uh, stalking Rory McIlroy and all those guys on my long lens camera and... Um, Try and sneak onto television, maybe in the background, perhaps. So if you see me sort of stalking Rory on TV, then you know, see some little guy hiding in the bushes. It's probably me. So um, I'll try and be more inconspicuous. I'll, I'll wear dark clothing and camouflage, perhaps. So it should be good. But yeah, obviously we're coming towards the kind of autumnal season now, where the golf season's kind of drifting away. But Owen, just as a quick kind of aside here, recently you yeah. told me that you actually like to play in the autumn more than the summer. So explain yourself. I do. Uh, <laughs> it's just purely result driven, Kieran. 
Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not very subtle. It's just I just I just seem to score well in the autumn. Uh, no, I do. I do. I like. I think you've you've played a whole season of golf. Um, the courses have softened up a bit, mm-hmm. so I think uh, f- certainly for you know if you don't need if you don't need the distance, if you're a fairly fairly long hitter, which I'm not, but I do play around a short golf course. Um, it, it makes things a bit easier, um, and yeah, I just I quite I just quite like the the, the time. Yeah, I don't like being too hot on the golf course. Quite happy to play in a jumper. I feel most comfortable there. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Just uh, I always seem to play quite well in the autumn. And my handicap has reduced. Oh really? This autumn. Oh, so yeah, I could say I'm going to so I'm going to be singing the same song next autumn. No, so. I'm, I'm very I'm yep. very impressed. Simple as that. You mentioned there, obviously, you don't like playing in the heat and you, you like to play in a jumper, so move to Scotland then. Yep. It's got to be the answer to that. You can play in a jumper all... You keep telling me it's always sunny. I don't want to move there. I said, I said it's sunny. It's not necessarily warm. There's a big difference. <laughs> all right, okay. It's not necessarily warm. So, uh, but yeah, obviously, so, oh, and therefore, obviously you say there that the courses are playing easier at this time of year in theory, so therefore the Galvin Green campaign should be, guys should be going out there and shooting the lights out on that, I guess, and beating their handicap on the score tracker. So that's the... You're setting me up for a full there, Kieran. I'm not saying, sure they're playing easier. Saying, <laughs> Softer. Easier, easier is the word. The key word is easier. Just, just play along with me here because I'm obviously that Owen Davis here. He's laid down the challenge to you listeners to go out there and play your softer golf courses and you'll pepper those pins and just make birdies left, right and centre so we can all, exactly. all but dream. And obviously that's find out more about that in the coming weeks on Golf Shake. But obviously at the moment, if you're looking for a winter break or a, a wee golf tour somewhere else, check out the Golf Shake Top 10. On the Golf Chick website there, obviously, some great travel deals right now and some more of them will actually be going live on the website on Friday, we think. So there'll be five more deals there to go and take advantage of all across the country. Some great opportunities there, some great destinations. And as Owen mentioned, they're on the score tracker. You know, keep entering your scores in there. There are some potential prizes and accolades there to be received and also it's a great way to sort of track your scores and uh, keep lowering your handicap as you build towards the end of the season. Obviously, if you're really keen, you'll try and play over the winter and gets off a head start on everybody else going into next season. So uh, we're coming towards the end of the golfing calendar, I guess. But the golf continues, obviously, with Dunhill Links this week. And, of course, on Golf Shake as well, where we encourage you to go out there and to play more and play better. So, Owen, you know, last week I sort of subtly said at the end of the podcast that I missed having you last week. Um, I kind of regret well, saying that now. I didn't make it that far podcast, Kieran, so I didn't I'm joking. <laughs> so, but it was good to have you back. So, I hope you enjoyed being back on the podcast. But yeah, it's been good yes. to be back. <laughs> I'm looking uh-huh. forward to it next well, week. I'm glad to hear. It. I've, got, I've got no trips. I've got no so, trips away planned. Plans. So you're gonna have to put up with me for a few oh, weeks right. in a row. So, I think that that is actually. So you you are confirming your attendance on the podcast next week. Then so there we are. Yeah, I am. Yeah, that's a mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, wow, I'll be here. That, that was a mistake because you, you'll find some excuse probably to miss out on it, but. Uh, yeah, well, so hopefully then next week everybody will be back uh, talking about the Dunhill Links. We'll have some more interviews with you, obviously talking about the Galvin Green campaign yeah. as well, and Owen will tell us a bit more about that next yeah. week. But obviously we'll be recapping the golf in St Andrews too. And uh, so I'll be here on the, the Pod- Golf Sheet podcast, God willing, and uh, I'm assuming Owen will be here too. So until next time, play play more, play better, enjoy the Dunhill Links, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>